Cast. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 113 of the Burden of Command podcast. I'm your host, Earl Breon. Today's guest is Mr. Jake Jacobs, author of Leverage Change, Eight Ways to Achieve Faster, Easier, Better Results. Jake is also the founder and president of Jake Jacobs Consulting. He is a pioneer in large-scale change and has worked with some of the largest corporations in the world, including Ford, Marriott, and Corning. And he has supported major change efforts for the City of New York, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and the United Kingdom's National Health and Employment Services. We have a great conversation about leadership and these levers that he talks about in his book, but uh, I want to share with you real quick a quick version of the story. You'll hear the full version kind of opening up. Uh, but when I say at the end of each one of these shows, if you have any ideas for stories, guests, things you'd like to hear me talk about, please send me an email at that burden.command at gmail.com. I mean it. That's exactly how Jake and I kind of got together. Uh, he was friends with a former guest of mine and they connected us and we got Jake on the show. So please, if you have any ideas, reach out to me, burden.command at gmail.com. I'm more than happy to take those under advisement and help you drive the show. So with that in mind, I'm going to shut up, get out of the way, let the stinger play, let you get into this outstanding interview with Mr. Jake Jacobs. Jake, thanks for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Earl. Oh, no, I'm I'm very excited about this because, you know, for listeners, um, you know, I always say on here at the end of the show how to get a hold of me if you have a guest idea, uh, if there's a story idea, anything that you think that would be good for the podcast. And so the way Jake and I got connected, one of my previous guests, Eileen McDar, which you all loved uh, when she was on the show, I uh, said, hey, here's a few people that uh, I think you would like. And through that kind of lead, Jake and I got connected, and now he's a guest on the show. So when I say, if you know anybody who might be a good guest on the show, I'm not just making it up. Send me somebody who you think might be a good guest. Um, but with that, Jake, your background in change and all the things you do makes me very excited to hear your answer to that kind of foundational question of the show, what does the phrase burden of command mean to you? Great. So I, I love this question, Earl. I, th I think it um, is a really deep one. And so my answer is um, I think a burden of command is both an experience and a worldview. So first, let me say something about it as an experience. Um, and I think it's important to be honest with ourselves. And uh, we're all human. And so although we'd like to be noble and, and say, you know, it's an honor to uh, have this uh, uh, command, I think that it can feel like a burden at times. Uh, it can be difficult. It can be frustrating. Um, and, and, you know, we glorify it as, you know, leading the troops into battle, using the military analogy. Uh, I equate that to leadership. And there are times for both uh, a command and times to listen, encourage participation from others, um, but to make both of these okay, as it is to tell yourself the truth that sometimes being in command can feel like a burden. I mean, that's reality. And my advice to listeners is when it 
feeling like a burden, find a spouse, a colleague, a friend, a coach, and have that conversation. Get it off your chest. I don't think we need to keep a stiff upper lip, uh, but wrestle with it and get the support that you need. So that's the experience level. In the worldview, what I mean by that is like a paradigm. It's how we make sense of what's going on around us. And, you know, the way that I describe this is, you know, if it's feeling like a burden, you hit the snooze button and wait a little longer to take the reins or jump out of bed. You're not as eager to see what the day holds for you and your leadership. So there's a story of a man named Fred Hur. It was a client of mine at Ford Motor Company. And Ford was going through a lot of challenging times in the mid 80s with Japanese competition. And uh, it wasn't a fun place to be, frankly. And we were interviewing Fred, who was in charge of the electronics division. And we said, you know, Fred, you, you could retire. I mean, he was old enough. He could have, like, taken a great package, left, had done good work for the company, could hold his head high. And he looked back at us with this shocked expression. And he said, how can I leave now? I'm so needed. <laughs> and so those circumstances... You know, when it feels like a burden, the thing is, is that it depends how you wake up in the morning and how you see it. So if you have an excitement, the empowering feeling, if you're like Fred Herr and you say you're built for this moment to take command, then that's based on his worldview. It's it can be a difficult day for Fred Herr and he doesn't care because he knows he can make a difference. So when I say it's both about the experience and about the paradigm or the worldview, I think it is both. Um, and I work with organizations in change and we work with people in a group consultation program around the book and using the levers. Um, these are empowering actions for everybody that can have a huge impact. And so in those groups, there is some truth telling. People do share some of the burden that they feel like they carry for leadership. And we also focus on a worldview. You know, how can you reframe things the way you're seeing them so you can feel like you're on top of the world? You can feel like people are following you and they're engaged and committed to the work that needs to be done. Um, so when I say it's both and, I really think you got to both be honest about it. And then you also got to make a choice to see how often you can feel like you're getting up on the right side of the bed. Well, I love that answer. That is that is great. And I agree with you. And and one thing I love there is, you know, a lot of people, they, they hear the phrase burden, or I should say the word burden, and it's got all these negative connotations associated with the word. But burden isn't necessarily negative. It just means a heavy load. And in some ways, I feel if you don't feel that way sometimes in a leadership role, you may not be taking it as seriously as you should. Right. And I would say you, you may not be paying attention enough. Right. So um, the, the role of leadership is absolutely critical in, in any organization or any team. And what I believe I've worked with organizations, uh, you know, from the city of New York to Marriott and uh, Ford, as I'd mentioned, um, a lot of different organizations and much smaller ones as well. Um, but the question for leaders, I think, is what is the work that's needed from my team or my organization 
right now. And it can sometimes be a heavy load and it's okay to know that and to admit it to yourself and even to others. You know, one of the best ways I found for clients to engage people in their organization is to share with them some of the realities that they're facing. So one of these levers, my, my book has eight of these strategic actions or levers in it. And one of the levers is called create a common database. And each lever deals with a particular problem. This one addresses when people in the organization don't know enough to make good decisions, then we create a common database. And a common database is what information needs to be shared with other people in the organization for them to make those good decisions. And so sometimes leaders need to share that burden. It's not that they have to carry it alone. They can share some of the reality they're facing. I was working with an M&A client and they had uh, deadlines they had, floating interest rates, convertible bonds, all kinds of complex financial instruments. But if they paid them off sooner, they saved money. That was the punchline. And what we did is we held sessions. There were 200 people in a room getting an MBA in finance. These are roustabouts and people who worked on oil platforms, but getting an MBA so that they could understand the burden that their leadership was under and take some of that and carry it forward themselves. So even in situations where it can feel burdensome, that, that doesn't mean that you got to pull a lone ranger. Yeah, no, I agree 100%. And uh, so you mentioned it a couple of times here, and I mentioned it in the, the bio, uh, but the book is Leverage Change, Eight Ways to Achieve Faster, Easier, and Better Results. Well, wow. I don't know any uh, leader, no matter what position they're in right now, that doesn't want faster, easier, better results, right? Right, right. Absolutely. That is why this book is for a lot of people, Earl. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And what I love about it, again, is this concept of, of levers and leverage. Uh, and specifically with change, um, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Like, for instance, the the first lever, and I don't know, are, are, are these necessarily in a particular order of, of execution? No, they're, they're not in the sense that um, if you've got a particular problem, we identify what that common problem is that organizations and individuals face when they're dealing with change. And then I designed a lever to address it or, you know, in a sense, to nullify that problem and be able to move your effort forward, as you said, faster, easier and better. I love that. So they're, they're each designed to move a different rock then, huh? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Well, let's start with the first one. Let's chat about that for a second. Pay attention to continuity. What does that mean and why is it important? Right. So, uh, Earl, most people who work in the world of change, that's what they focus on. And a lot of organizations suffer from what I call and they call change fatigue. Right. It's like yet another thing that we've got to do differently coming down the pike. And people get exhausted by this. And so the more that we talk about change, the, the more overwhelming it becomes. So what I do is something different. I also talk about what not to change in the company. And I argue that it's equally important to pay attention to continuity, those things that you're going to keep doing the way you've been doing them all along as it is to talk about what's gonna be different. So a lot of times I sit down with clients and I say, look, let's just 
pull out a couple flip chart sheets, right? Just down to basics and brass tacks, pull one up and list all of the changes that you see that need to be made as part of our effort. And they write this list and you, you know, you could see people kind of slumping down in their chairs a little bit because that, that feeling of overwhelm starts to take hold and, you know, they're, they're not so happy as they were at the beginning of the meeting. And then I say, all right, on the other sheet, I'd like you to make a list of those things that we're going to keep doing the same way we always have, except make this list twice as long. And so as they start to make this list, what I see is them sitting up in their chairs a little straighter, pushing forward. You know how you find people sitting on the edge of their chairs when, when they're ready to go do something and they're motivated and they're excited. And as they build this list, what I believe is happening is that they're getting their firm footing again. And with firm footing, you can take a leap much more effectively into the unknown of whatever those changes are than if all you're hearing about is change. And even though leaders know a lot will stay the same, you get change agendas, you get cases for change, all of these different tools that have been developed focus on one side of the equation. And there's another conversation I believe is equally important and it makes a huge difference in communications, in conversations, in meeting agendas. If you start to build these in, these are very concrete things that listeners can take away and do. But if you build these things in, what you're gonna find is a whole lot less resistance and a whole lot more motivation. Again, I love that. You said a lot there. And, and one of the things that really stuck out in my mind as you were saying that is, um, you know, a few years back, uh, we had a change in commandants in the Marine Corps, changed a couple times since then. Uh, but General Bob Neller uh, took over as commandant of the Marine Corps. And he got a lot of credit for the, the letter, uh, the Marine admin message that he sent out after he took over. Uh, for being kind of a model of how to change leadership roles or assume a new leadership role. But one of the things that he got a lot of credit for was one of the paragraphs started with uh, all previous orders and directives remain in effect. And it was what you were just talking about. He said, we're going to, we're going to continue operating as we have been just because I'm the first infantry commandant, uh, that the Marine Corps has had in a long time, I'm not going to come in and just change everything to be of a more infantry mindset. Everything's going to stay the way it is. We're going to evaluate and change will be implemented as needed. And I think that's kind of what you're saying, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, people who start with that mindset, you know, let's go study, let's learn, let's listen. Leaders who come into new positions curious about what's happening wanting to learn from people who've already been there, uh, they do much better. People respect them and they listen to what they have to say because they've been listened to. And that whole notion of, you know, this is a conversation, this is not a monologue. And a lot of people see leadership as, you know, you're supposed to have the answer. And a lot of times, very good leaders have the question, not the answer. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and the other thing, you know, that we know about communication is communication is more about what is heard than what is said. And I would imagine, and, and maybe you've ran into this and you can either confirm or deny, but 
when you come into a new organization and you just say, hey, we're going to change the way we do everything. What those folks hear is everything you've been doing is messed up. It's been wrong. And we need to fix everything about this organization. Right. And, the, and the, you know, my question to you, Earl, is who wants to sign up to be part of that team? Exactly. Right. I mean, it's like, you know, run for cover. And, and a lot of times, you know, we, we it, it, you know, in this one of the nice things about this group consultation program we've got is that people can talk to each other. It's not just me teaching them about these levers and how to use them, which which we do. But it's also them being able to have conversations with each other about things that matter. And this whole notion of, you know, how can you get a good start as a leader in an organization is one of the topics that we cover because how you start has a lot to do with the rest of your life with that team and that organization. And people will take signals from you. I always tell leaders, I say, you know, you may not think it's a big deal when you go to a meeting and you hang out with all of your buddies who happen to be senior executives, well, everybody in the room is watching you do that. And they're taking messages away about how open you are. And you can get up there and say, you know, I've got an open door policy, but if you hang out with people who look and sound like you in the same level in the hierarchy, you're sending a message that says, no, no, the door's not that open. So if you can reach out and start asking questions, like you said, having that first note say everything's staying the same and i'm going to go and learn from you and together we're going to make some decisions about what to change actions speak louder than words yeah a hundred percent and and what i love about this like uh i don't know if you did this on purpose but your your next lever that you kind of touch on is think and act as if the future were now and i'm sure a lot of folks are are hearing think and act as if the future were now immediately following pay attention to continuity and saying, Oh, wow, those things are kind of 180 degrees out from each other. How am I supposed to do both? Right? Yeah. So that's, that's, I love that question too, Earl. Um, first of all, the problem that this lever deals with is change taking too long. And a lot of times in organizations, even for people who are lower in the organization, you know, it takes forever for these changes to roll out. And so even if you're on board, it's tough because you get impatient. It's like, are we taking this seriously or are we not? And so if we take it seriously, then things ought to happen faster. And so the way that I have worked with clients to do this is think and act as if the future were now is a mindset. So what it says is most of the time, again, this is something different that I think that I bring to the table than most people working in the world of change. Most people will tell you the future is something that's out there that's gonna happen at a later point in time. I mean, isn't that the definition of future? And what I'm here to say is, if you can think and act as if it were today, change is gonna happen a lot faster. So what, what do I mean by that? If you can have a team sit around in a circle and say, if we were doing business differently the way we wanted in the future, what would that look like? Who would we be talking to? How would we be treating each other? Who would be our stakeholders or customers? How would we be doing work? Answer those questions about the future. And then ask yourself another one. The other question is, how could we begin doing any of those things right here and right now. 
So we don't have to wait for some point in the future, Vision 2025, we're, you know, we'll get there, but it's several years in the future. We're gonna grab hold of any image of that and start living it today. And so I've had clients where they've said, look, we need to make a decision. This was a sales organization. We need to make a decision about how we move into this new territory. And in the morning, the executives had a, a grand argument, right? People were debating this, came out in two places. They were at loggerheads. There was no answer to the situation. And I said, you all said you wanted to have a participative organization. That was one of the cultural things you were working on. And they all looked at me and they said, yeah. You know, I mean, like, what are we paying you for to tell us things we already know, right? That's the worst joke about consultants. So, uh, I said, well, if you wanted to be participative, what could we do this afternoon to walk that talk, to make that real? And they said, well, I mean, they're frontline people in those territories. We could talk to them and we could ask for their input. And they got their calendars out and they started to make a meeting for next week. And I said, wait a second, wait a second. If we're gonna think and act as if the future were now, we're gonna bring them in the room right now. And they were like, well, not everybody's in the office. And I said, do they all have phones? And they kind of looked at each other and laughed and they said, yeah, yeah, they've all got phones. I said, okay, let's dial them all up. Let's round up everybody in the office who's a salesperson in those areas and let's br literally bring them in the room and have them educate us. This is part of this common database about making good decisions. Let's have them educate us so that we can decide what's the right direction. And what happened after that, listening to those people, one answer became very clear and it wasn't either of the ones that the executives had been debating in the morning. So when I say pay attention to continuity and think and act as if the future were now, they are two questions and they work together. If I know what I'm going to continue doing that's important, then what I change needs to be part of the future I want. And then I get an image of that future and I start living it today. So I see these levers as working interchangeably with each other and to borrow a term, leveraging each other so that you get the benefit of both without the downside of either of them. Wow. No, again, I love that. And as you were talking, it reminded me of, uh, kind of the epitome of what you're saying there in my mind, the way I heard it, uh, was President John F. Kennedy's speech that he gave at Rice, because he admitted a lot of these things that you're talking about here when he challenged us to get to space by the end of the decade. He said, look, we're going to have to invent new technologies. We're going to have to figure out methods that don't exist right now. And if you if anybody's not listened to that speech, what I love about it, and, and this kind of goes to what Jake was just saying, Neil Armstrong is widely credited as the first uh, American to walk on the moon. But if you hear the passion with which President Kennedy gave that speech, it was pretty clear that in his mind, at least, he had already walked on the moon probably 100 times, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the power of that vision is one that can compel an entire nation, right, to do what was thought to be impossible. So I, I think that that notion of building on what we've done well in the past, which is this continuity piece, and then having a compelling future of possibilities is again, the other hand clapping in that equation that you have to look at the world through a both and lens. 
Yes, a hundred percent. And 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 again, as you mentioned, I love that word powerful because it is. Because I mean, you got to figure. We went from the first flight in roughly 1903 to being on the moon by the end of the 60s. And it takes that level of, of foresight and, and drive to, to make that leap, right? Yeah, and let me say, Earl, something about vision in terms of the levers, right? So one of the levers is called develop a future people will want to call their own. So if you go back to Kennedy and you say, look, as I listen to what he's saying, do I want to be part of that country? Do I want to be an American if that's where America is going? And what it does is it deals with this common problem that happens in organizations where people say, what's in it for me? In fact, a lot of my clients have a, a, an acronym. They're acronyms for everything once you get into an organization, right? Yeah. So the acronym is called WIFM. Right. What's in it for me? And that can be seen to be a selfish thing. It's like, wait a minute, what am I getting out of this deal? But if you can create a future that people want to call their own, that they're proud of being part of, then they don't worry about what's in it for them anymore. What's in it for them is more than they ever could have imagined. So when Kennedy was making that promise to the country, he was saying, this is the future that I want to create. Do you want to be part of it or not? And it was up to the rest of the country to say yes. But that galvanizing speech, that vision was so compelling that people did say yes. And they did take on what had been previously impossible. And that, I think, is one of the core elements of leadership. If, if you want to talk about the burden of command, that's one where he put the yoke of it on his shoulders and he said, this can be a different world and America can be part of creating that. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think that's the thing that a lot of leaders, especially today, uh, are kind of afraid, if you will, to build that level of elite think in their organizations, because you really have to believe to, to buy into that level that the organization you work for is the organization, the best organization, and the only one that can make that happen for you to really buy in at that level, right? Yeah, and and I mean, you, you I, I think you've seen these levers before, Earl, so you're kind of walking me through them with the questions that you've been asking. So here's here's another one, right? Because part of it is what that future looks like, and it's gotta be compelling, the other part, though, I think needs to be people want to be part of it and they want to be part of creating it. So one of the levers is called find opportunities for people to make a meaningful difference. So this is calling forth the greatness in each individual to step up to the plate and to say, I have something unique to contribute. I can make a difference, right? I've got a particular job. And for leaders to find opportunities for people to make a difference when it's time to change gives them permission to do business in new ways, but also I think gives them the responsibility to do business in new ways. And that, when I go back to the beginning of saying sharing that burden of command, it really is about inviting people to join the cause 
rather than sort of marching forward and thinking they're going to follow you, there's there's a, a sign one of my clients had up. I love Earl. That was uh, I saw it years ago, but it said, "How many of them were there? Which way were they going? How fast were they moving? I must find them. I'm their leader now." Obviously, missing the boat on that. The question is, I think, how do you get people to engage with you as a leader? And I think you get them to do that by engaging with them as your followers. Yeah. No, again, 100%. I love everything you're saying here. And, you know, as you were talking there, it reminded me of something Simon Sinek pointed out. And I can't believe I didn't put this together being a Marine myself. But he was talking about the military and he was talking about advertising and recruitment. And what he said was, he goes, think about it. He goes, the, you know, the army be all you can be and, and the air force aim high. And, you know, he's like, these are things that says, Hey, we want you to be a part of our organization. So when you look at the Marines, Marine Corps uh, advertising basically boils down to, you know, the few, the proud, the Marines. Yep. He said, what they're saying is, uh, we are the biggest, the baddest, the best on the planet. You probably can't make it as one of us. But just in case you want to try, here's how you can get a hold of us. <laughs> right. Yeah. And, and but it's it, but it's building that that mentality, like what you're talking about here of of making a meaningful difference and, and giving people a future that they want to call their own because you have to have a little bit of arrogance to, to, to get there. And I don't mean arrogance in a negative sense. I mean, you have to have a level of arrogance to be able to think that you can create that for other people and for them to believe that you can create that for them. Right. Yeah. And, and I would add to that, that, you know, a healthy dose of arrogance, I call pride. Right. So it's really a matter of being able to look out and say, am I proud to be a member of this organization? Am I proud to contribute to this team? One of the other levers is called design it yourself and design it yourself says each organization, each team, each situation is unique. So taking an eight-step process or a six-phase process off the shelf and trying to make it work for you isn't the way forward. But if you can take the time, and Simon Sinek talks about uh, your why, getting really clear about your why. And for me, your why is your purpose. So if you can get clear about what your purpose is for the work that you're doing and what are the deliverables, what are the outcomes that you uniquely need to achieve then you can build a roadmap to the future that's going to take you where you want to go. So I I agree. I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's. And and I think that, you know, our work starts with purpose. A lot of people, I think, get caught up in the plans and, and trying to figure out action steps and figure out what can we go do. And before we figure out what we're going to go do, I think it's really important for us to get clear about why we're doing anything in the first place. Mm. No, I like that. Well, and and that's a good point, too, because and I've used this quote on here a few times and I still haven't been able to find out who said it. It it goes unattributed everywhere I found it. This is change is changing faster than change has ever changed before. So how is an organization 
in a world where change is changing faster than change has ever changed before, supposed to be able to find that and be able to build a foundation when it seems like all they're supposed to be doing is pivoting and changing and reinventing themselves. Right. So let's come back to an earlier lever, right? Because I believe that these levers answer a lot of questions. And so when you're dealing with the pace of change, then the flow of information through your organization needs to be smooth, effective, and rapid. Create a common database says, we need to be smart together about what we're trying to accomplish, about the issues and challenges we're facing, what opportunities are available to us. And what that does is it gives people freedom to go take independent action because they have alignment. Long time ago, somebody said to me, reasonable people exposed to reasonably the same information will come up with reasonably the same answer. So if we can get a common database, a common understanding across the organization of all of this key information, strategic information, then you don't have to micromanage people. They know where you're headed. They know what the goal is. They know what the issues are. They can go out and act much more independently and much more uh, uh, in reaction in time, in pace to those changes. So if it's happening all the time, this change, then a smart organization will be able to act in concert, in alignment to respond to whatever's happening in the environment. Uh, yes, well said. And that's what I love about, uh, you know, these other levers and the one you were just talking about, design it yourself. And what you just said, one of the things that uh, I talk about a lot here at Leadership Phalanx is we do a lot of work around the concept of cognitive diversity. Mm. And this is a lot of what you're talking about here, what we teach organizations. And I love the way you put that there is, you know, and I'm sure you've read into it. You run it, you go into an organization and they've read the latest John Maxwell book or they've read the latest Simon Sinek book. And they're like, we're going to do what John, we're going to do what Simon says. And they flounder, right? Right. But then you get them together, like what you're talking about, and then we, we realize, get them to realize the power of the people that they have there, the different thoughts, the different points of views. And, hey, let's figure out what works for you. Yep. And then boom. And, and Earl, for me, you know, some of what works can be what John Maxwell says or what Simon Sinek says. Like, we're not talking about ignoring some really good ideas. What we're talking about is taking the best of the best and making it your own. And sometimes that means we've got to change some things about what we're hearing. But going out and learning and being a learning organization and finding out what are these experts saying? Because people are listening to them. My argument is just don't follow it blindly figure out for yourself what you need of what they're saying and then put it to good use yeah exactly and i think that's the dirty little secret about what we do right like uh, i always talk about being into history and and uh, being able to trace a lot of the same things that uh, folks like you and i are teaching today back to sun tzu's art of war you know he said it a little bit different. He said it in a different format because it was a different time period. But when you look at the things that we're talking about here, 
you can find all of this stuff dating all that way back. And so the point is, over that period of time, people like you and I have taken these concepts and added our own twist to it, made it our own thing, found some ways to make different parts of it work better together. And that's what we want organizations to do as well, right? Yeah, and I've been consulting, as I said earlier, I think for 35 years on the front lines of all kinds of organizations. And um, what I was trying to do was to distill what I'd learned so that I could pass it on to others. And being able to frame this to say, look, there's eight common problems that organizations face and there are eight levers, depending on which problem you can pull a lever out and you can use it in a lot of different ways. To me, the best contribution of the book is its usability. Right. So you don't have to spend 35 years working in organizations. The cool thing about these levers is you can use them on any change in any organization made by anyone. So if you're trying to get a better relationship with your boss, these levers can help. If you're trying to improve the effectiveness of your team and how it interacts with another one, the levers can help. If you have a whole organization that's trying to change its culture, the levers can help. So in any of those contexts, you could be just starting an effort or in the middle of it, you could have a change method that you're using and you want to turbocharge it. In all those situations, I like to say that the levers play well with others. You know, you don't have to give up what you're doing to use these. They can supplement, add value to the work that you're already doing. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and I think uh, I'm kind of doing some mental uh, check marks here, but I think the only one we really haven't talked about lever wise uh, yet is make change work part of daily work. And uh, I love that because, you know, I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, kind of the Toyota production system, the whole Kaizen concept. And and that's kind of what I got here is making change part of the daily work makes you more comfortable with change, which kind of gets you gets your you and your team comfortable when things change. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. This deals with the problem of people having too much on their plates. And if you've been in an organization once, you've been in it a thousand times, this is a complaint that people have. And change feels like yet another thing you're heaping on top of my plate. It's like a a, a bad story of Thanksgiving dinner, you know, when you get somebody putting more food on your plate and you've already put too much on. So when your plate's full, If you can see change work as part of daily work, whether it's the Toyota production system or anything else that you're doing, it's like make it one in the same and it doesn't become another item on your plate. It becomes the way you do business. And in terms of the work that we're talking about doing, you can make that change work part of everyday and everything you do. So one of the visions that I've got is that we create leverage change organizations that just like the Toyota production system becomes a way of doing business, that leverage change, this approach becomes a way that organizations go about change and executives get trained in it in in, uh, development courses, uh, frontline people get 
trained in it in terms of what their work is and how they can do it better each day. New hires see it as an orientation part, but it becomes, like you said, with the Toyota production system, it becomes the way that business gets done as opposed to, yeah, it's one more thing that I got to worry about on a Friday afternoon is this change meeting that I'm signed up for. Yeah, no, I love it because, you know, <laughs> nobody likes change just for the sake of change. And when you look at change as, when, when people look at change as a way to improve things, not just for the organization, for themselves, uh, but for themselves as well, they, they really, that wall against change kind of comes crashing down, right? Yeah, and you know, there's, there's a famous saying, which is, uh, people don't mind change, they mind being changed. So this whole notion of engaging people in significant ways and bringing about changes that are needed is the antidote to that. It's like, if I can make that happen as part of the way that we change in our organization is we do it with input, we do it together, we listen to what people have to say, we make changes based on what the wisdom of the organization is telling us, you find that resistance is something that isn't a problem anymore. It comes off the table entirely if you go about this in a way that is based on these levers. Yeah, and I've heard that before, and uh, so I kind of add to it, I said, I don't think people really uh are against change i don't think people really mind being changed i think people are more concerned about what the change means to them you know the the fear and a lot of leaders do a terrible job of communicating why change is necessary what it means to the people in the organization and getting them comfortable with change like we're talking about here yeah you know one of the good ways that we found to really dig into this and understand it is we create these experiences for people in organizations called a day in the life of. What that means is that they literally map out what life's going to be like in this new world that they're talking about creating. What, what are they doing? Who are they talking to? What work are they doing? What work are they delegating? What work is being asked of them? All of this makes things a lot more real, a lot more concrete, and I can test it and I can say, so what new skills and abilities and knowledge am I gonna require in order for this to be a day in my life in the future? And the more that you can make these things real, which is why this think and act as if the future were now are so powerful, is that you get an image of what that future looks like and then you start to live it. And you may find that there are some elements of that that you're not capable of leading. I, I used to do work with leaders and I called it leadership alignment, Earl, because I thought we need to get the leadership clear and focused in the same direction. And what I learned along the way is we needed to change what that work was called. So we changed it to developing and aligning leadership. The so two points about that. One of them was developing became part of the story. So you're not just aligning people for the future, but you're developing them so that they can provide the leadership that's required in the future. The second part of that is it moved from alignment 
right, to developing and aligning, which is an ongoing process. It's not something that we get alignment and then it sticks over time just because we got it once. If you think of this as a process over time, then it is continually about developing and aligning people to that future as it continues to evolve or change over time. Mm, that is such an important piece there. Um, and again, listeners, uh, we've been talking with uh, Jake Jacobs uh, about leverage change, eight ways to achieve faster, easier, better results. Uh, Jake, you know, we've been talking here for coming up on about 43 minutes-ish or so. And this has just been an outstanding conversation up to this point. I really appreciate having you as a guest on the show. Thanks so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. No, I love it. And I know my guests are getting so much out of this because I've gotten a ton out of it myself here. Um, is there anything that we haven't talked about that you really want to leave the guests with before we wrap up? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you asked. There, there is a vision of possibilities that I want to leave your listeners with. And for this, I'm going to ask them to sit back wherever they may be and picture a day when the change work they're doing is achieving the deliverables that they've set out to achieve. They've been successful in that change work to picture a day when there's an individual who has resisted getting on board and comes up to you and says in their own words, I'm glad I got involved. I'm proud that I'm part of this organization and that I'm making these changes. And to picture a day when fast, lasting, easier, better results are just the way business gets done. It's not a high hassle factor with headaches, but it's something that just happens naturally as a change-able organization. And when those things occur, you can be living in a different future. And what I would call it is a leverage change future. Mm, I love that. So listeners, there you go. Uh, I'll just add on to that and I'll challenge you to do that exercise and um, let us know what you think. Let us know when you go through the exercise, just kind of share with us what that looks like for you. Uh, I think Jake and I both would be very interested to hear those responses, right? Absolutely. I oh, love it. Okay. So listeners are convinced we can put these levers to work and we can make change uh, more effective, uh, better, faster, easier. Um, but they know that they're going to need some guidance because why would you do something like this without an outstanding coach helping you along the way when you have somebody like Jake available? So how can they uh, find out more about you, reach out on how to work with you, uh, grab a copy of the book and all those sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the thing that I would suggest that's going to get you the furthest, the fastest is go to my website, right? JakeJacobsConsulting.com and download the free ebook I've got there. It's called 27 Ways to Achieve Faster, Easier, Better Results Immediately. And what this is, is it's a guide. It takes you through each of the eight levers and gives you a few ideas, very concrete things that you can do tomorrow to make a difference. And so like this may have been interesting. This may have been a compelling conversation, Earl, that we just had. And what I'm going to say, yeah, the proof's in the pudding. So download that ebook 
and put it to work. Put leverage change to the test yourself and use some of those immediate action ideas to be able to say, is life and is change faster, easier, and better by using this approach? And, and my bet, the smart money is gonna say, yes, it is. And past that, let's have a conversation. But I want you to be able to get value out of it before we even talk again so that you can move your organization and your change efforts forward in ways that you never believed possible. Mm, I love that. And there you go, folks. And that's a free ebook. So you don't turn down free, for goodness sake. Uh, well, Jake, again, this has been a fantastic conversation. I really appreciate the time you've spent with me and, and uh, with my guests. So thank you for doing all the work you're doing. And thank you for being with us today. Well, thanks so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And I think that uh, the service you're providing for your listeners and uh, old and new ones that are coming on board is really valuable because this whole notion of the burden that you talk about is is something that we all can put on our shoulders. And when we carry it together, it's a lighter load. Mm, I love that. Well, thank you for that. Um, and listeners, thank you. Thank you for being with us through the course of this discussion. Uh, thank you for taking action and doing some of the things that Jake and I have talked about here. And uh, especially towards the end there, do those things that Jake has asked and, and share those with us. We definitely do want to hear about that. So share those with us uh, and keep sharing and rating and reviewing the show. Uh, you know, that helps with the algorithms and helps the show get more visibility, get more listeners and spread great messages like what Jake has here uh, further, and uh, more people can get exposed to it. So you have an active role to play in that, and thank you for taking that seriously. If you have any comments, questions, or concerns for myself, burden.command at gmail.com. Just reach out there, and uh, we'll get those addressed for you. Uh, again, thank you all for your time. Really appreciate you spending it with us, and I look forward to speaking with you all again in the next episode. Hey there, I'm DC. I host the Rock Podcast, Back to the Arena, The Interviews. It's about a 30-minute podcast where I talk one-on-one -on -one with a band who has released new music. You can find us on all the best podcast sites like Spotify, Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, and more. If you're a rock band like me, subscribe today to Back to the Arena, The Interviews. Electric Acid. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electric acid. Electric acid.